team will fan to the best. Great minds, y'all. Great minds with slash goggles fused to their face. It's like beer goggles, but sexier. Maybe that should have been the way to Jackson's heart. Oh. Now that would have been great. So if Stalinsky had been bitten by one of these monsters. I'd have slapped the shit out where everyone did it. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Wallace, and I'm joined by... Kate Colvin. And I'm Calissa Mullis. Every week we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week we're talking about season two, episode 11, Battlefield. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, alpha and beta. The beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, Full Moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. The penultimate episode of season two is called Battlefield. It was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Tim Andrew. The night of the championship lacrosse game marks a turning point for all the major players in Beacon Hills. The clock counts down until Gerard forces the Canima to kill someone as punishment for Scott's failure to deliver Derek. Boyd and Erica seek a new pack, but face a rain of Allison's arrows instead. Chris fears that he's losing his daughter to Gerard's influence. Desperate for allies, Isaac joins up with Scott, as does Melissa, finally able to get past the startling revelation that her son isn't human anymore. Derek finds himself so far at the end of his rope that he'll even listen to Peter who claims that Lydia is the key to saving Jackson. Meanwhile, Jackson is losing himself to the Canima so quickly that even Danny can't reach him. Styles becomes a hero on the lacrosse field, but can't shake the crushing anxiety of facing mortal danger without the superpowers that the werewolves have. By the end of the game, two teenagers are captured, one is wounded, and one is missing, forcing Scott to consider the possibility that he could lose everything. Our favorite quote for this week is Styles saying, I'm playing on the field with the team? Coach replies, yes, unless you'd rather play with yourself. And Styles answers, I already did that today, twice. <laughs> it cracks me up every time. Sexy and funny. <laughs> Everything you want in a person. There you go. Mm-hmm. And then we have an honorable mention that comes from our dramatic bitch, Peter, who says, I'm out of commission for a few weeks, and suddenly there's lizard people, geriatric psychopaths, and you're cooking up werewolves from every self-esteem-deprived adolescent in town. I mean, he's not wrong, but it's still a little rude to say. Burn! He's still a dramatic bitch. All right, so this episode begins with Styles having a counseling session with Miss Morell. And this is just such an amazing scene. I love it so much. It's such a it great teaser. While he busies himself fixing his lacrosse stick, Styles talks about voluntary apnea, the phenomenon where you're drowning and you instinctively hold your breath. It's only when you feel like your head's exploding that you take a breath, and that's when the pain stops. 
not that he feels sorry for Matt, he clarifies, Stalinsky told him that they found pictures of Allison on Matt's computer where he'd photoshopped himself in. I'm not gonna lie, I want to see some of those photoshopped images. Yeah, me too. Calissa, do you remember the Tumblr post where they had Matt photoshopping himself into steric pics? Oh my gosh, no. Okay, I'll send them to you and we can link them in the show notes. Good, because I need to see them right now. They also found an extensive fedora collection at his place. (laughs) Ms. Morrell's like, say no more. When Morrell suggests that the sheriff's reinstatement was one positive thing to come out of all this, Stiles says he still feels like there's something wrong between them. Same with Scott, who has his own problems to deal with. Like having to buy new shirts at Macy's, as we see in the flashback while Stiles is talking. I don't like that flashback filter. Yeah, I don't care for this filter, but how else would you know that's a flashback, Will? It doesn't matter in this scene. It doesn't, but also neither does like the close-up of the Macy's. Like the Macy's advertisement really takes me out of it because Stiles' monologue is just really incredible. And we're going over all these like, really like dramatic events that have been happening and everyone's just like worn down and beat down and everything. And then it's got, and don't forget Macy sponsors the show. It's like a, Styles just brought out like a Reese cup while he was in like the guidance counselor <laughs> office and just started taking a bite. I'm stress while eating. About okay. dr- drowning. <laughs> that actually would have been a little bit better than the Macy's bag, to be honest. I feel like that. Yeah. And actually in fairness to Teen Wolf, my mom and I were just binge watching Nancy Drew and they had a bit where a character, I'm not kidding, was really stressed because a friend of hers was in the hospital and she was like, I'm stress shopping. I just bought these jeans from Old Navy. Okay. It could be worse though. Later at Eichenhaus, you could have seen Brunsky removing a Macy's tag from the straitjackets. (laughs) (laughs) That's where I got all my straitjackets. It's part of the winter collection. I actually just owned one straight jacket and Will got it. So I don't know where it's from. It's not Teen Wolf official though, sadly. Ah, uh, God, if only. I know, right? I have no shame. I understand why shows needs to actually include sponsors like that. Gotta get that money. Mm-hmm. But it just really needs to feel more organic and not forced in there. Just so awkward. It's hard to do though. I don't know if product placement can really be done like organically because I know like in real life when you buy clothes you show them to your friends you're like oh my god I got them at Macy's or something like that. we do that in real life but I feel like in stories everyone understands that stories are life with all the boring parts taken out of it mm-hmm. so you're just like no stop this like it just doesn't feel ever correct even though it's completely natural in the real world for that to happen it's just not in a story it just feels odd it didn't bother me that much whenever it was Lydia shopping for like her party outfits because, you know, Allison's trying to talk about this very like important thing and seeing if like Lydia knows what's going on with Jackson and everything. And Lydia is just pretending none of it's happening and she's just mm-hmm. focused on the shopping. So that actually, I feel like worked really well. It was almost like teensy bit weird that she was actually saying the brand names, but I actually even thought like it was interesting with like the bits that were included in the script that didn't actually make it to scene where... Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, Allison, this doesn't actually really work with you. And, you know, we've got to change this whole like goth image you've kind of got going on right now and everything. And I don't know, I thought that kind of that bit was fun. And I think it's fine whenever you just show characters like eating something like you don't need close ups to understand what a Reese cup is. (laughs) We all know what Reese cups are, guys. Yeah, we, we get it. I feel like the best way to do it is to make it feel personal. Like I remember... This is super random, but in the wedding planner, there's, I think it's that one. Is that, is that the one with reconnaissance? Yes, it is. Yeah. There's a bit where he's like eating M&Ms and he'll only eat the brown ones. 
and he like throws away the other ones. She's like, what are you doing? And he's like, okay, so I kind of have this thing where like when I eat, I, I try not to eat like super processed candy because I know it's really bad for you, but I have to eat something. I have to cheat. And just in my head, it just makes more sense that like, oh, the brown ones probably have less food coloring in them because chocolate is already brown. And she's like, yeah, okay. He's like, I know, I know. But it's just like, I just have to tell myself something in my head to like rationalize that I'm going to eat something I'm not supposed to be eating. And I actually felt like that worked kind of well. That's good. Mm -hmm. I think I I, I would like to revise my statement. Product placement can be done well based on what you both have just said. And because they both go to character, both of your examples go to character. I think that's the thing is that in that scene with Lydia, she is pushing past all the things that Allison is talking about and using clothes Mm -hmm. as the distraction. And then with McConaughey's character, he's going through this profound thing and he's trying, he's got all this anxiety and all this. And so it's kind of like just this mental thing he has to do for himself. So that's great. And I, I think that's the thing is that there's nothing in that scene with Scott that goes to his character. We don't learn anything about his character in the moment that it's happening with the product placement. It's just a Macy's bag and a shirt coming out. Right. And that's all it is. So I think that's the thing. Every scene as just, I think as a general, you know, rule of thumb for writing is like all scenes need to inform character in some way, even the product placement scenes. And I think it could have even worked. Oh, sorry. I think it even could have worked if now Melissa knows about what's going on. So maybe she like brings him the bag in with new clothes and takes away like some of his bloody shredded ones. And she's like, okay, we're going to just. That's a good idea. Or the shirt he got shot in. If it had been like a thing where like, where if Melissa, if there had been like an ongoing thing about Melissa being like, you know, you're, you're growing up, you need to actually buy your own juice and buy your own, (laughs) like, I shouldn't be buying your clothes anymore. You're an adult or becoming an adult, you know, and that he just, just kind of like, yeah, yeah. But he knows that she'll do it for him. But now her world has been rocked and specifically her world as it pertains to Scott. And so let's say now, despite having ignored her saying that for all this time, because he's trying to get close to her again. He's like, oh, I went to the store and I bought my own clothes. And I actually like looked at the sizes and made sure it was the right size. And I actually tried them on and I looked at the prices and I did all the grown up things that you kept telling me to do, but I never did until now, because now I'm actually motivated to listen to your advice. You know, yeah. something like that. Yeah. If yeah. you weave it in like that, it doesn't feel cheap anymore because- yeah the the character work underneath it has bolstered it and now it feels richer so even though we still cognitively are like i get it you're selling m&ms you're selling reese's cups you're selling macy's clothes yeah it just feels a little more like part of the storytelling exactly and melissa would be very proud of him until she realized that he bought overall shorts (laughs) and And then she'd go back to buying his clothes. I just now I've really got in my head this like idea of yeah, her giving him like the bag of new clothes and then taking that one where he was shot in it away. And then we see her just like taking it to the bathroom and like scrubbing at it and like crying. Oh my God, that'd be so f- good. Right. Or maybe even right. sewing the, the bullet hole and right. like having them both sitting on their separate beds in the room. And it would be a callback to that scene where they're sitting next to each other really close and she's mm-hmm. sewing the pants oh. for him. But now- there's this like rift between them and it's literally like the wall between their rooms. Have y'all, yes. have y'all ever like tried writing stuff? I think y'all might be like good <laughs> at it. 
or something because those are two great ideas. Thank you. In that same flashback, we see Melissa avoiding Scott even in their own home. I just like imagine her like from behind her bedroom door. She says, no one's home. Go away. And then she starts like (laughs) pretending to snore loudly on the other side like a five-year-old. Oh my God. That would be awesome. Scott would probably believe. He'd be like, I guess she's not home. (laughs) She's not available. Her voice just said that. So... Styles says he doesn't think Scott has talked to Allison either, which is very strange for Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but does Styles know that Victoria tried to kill Scott? We don't know. And we never find out. But for this scene, yes to the close-up of Styles' lips. Beautiful. <laughs> and the eyes. They're just, yeah. uh, I love when Fix describe them as like honey-colored or whiskey-colored or, or whiskey-colored, whatever. Oh. yeah. Yeah. Toffee, melting toffee. <laughs> I don't think I've read that one, Kate. Is that yours? Yeah, I came up with it just this second. But really, where's Dylan O'Brien's Emmy for this delivery? Or Amber, you know, the sort of eyes that a prehistoric mosquito could be stuck in. 100%. As Styles speaks, we see Allison finding a message from Scott on her car window like they used to do. It says, 12 o'clock, please. Allison removes the message. Apparently, while her mother's death hit her pretty hard, it brought her and her dad closer together. We see Allison and Chris crossing off quadrants of Beacon County, presumably where they've searched for Derek's pack. One of the areas that isn't yet crossed off the list is the Beacon Hills Rail Depot. Jackson, meanwhile, hasn't really been himself lately. Oddly enough, Lydia is the one acting the most normal. Morell asks whether Styles is feeling anxious about the championship lacrosse game tomorrow, probably because Styles has moved on from fixing his lacrosse stick to nervously gnawing on it. But he says, no, he isn't anxious about that. I just have an oral fixation. Absolutely, he does. There are 55 works under the tag. Stiles Zelensky has an oral fixation on AO3, just so you guys know. (laughs) And that oral fixation is named Derek Hale. Wow. I would high five you for that, Will, if we were in the same room. (laughs) Stiles says he isn't anxious because he never plays anyway. Though, who knows, now that one of his teammates is dead, Matt, and one is missing, Isaac, one of the three runaways. Styles admits that he too has been struggling with an inability to sleep or relax, a crushing fear that something awful is going to happen, similar to a panic attack. Morell says this is called hypervigilance. And I would just like to once again say, uh, I would like to send Tim Andrew a fruit basket for all of these close-ups of Dylan O'Brien's face. Like if I could just get his address there, send that. Do you think fruit arrangement? Is he a flower guy? Just let me know here so I can send him something. And then he'll get Dylan O'Brien to eat the fruit and he'll film it in close up. You're making it weird, Will. I was not being normal <laughs> yeah, and right. you're making it weird. <laughs> totally. That was very normal. Yeah. Morell says that hypervigilance may be agonizing, but if it's between holding your breath and drowning, between surviving and giving in to the pain, then it's worth a little agony. As Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. What an exceptional scene. And I love Ms. Morell's delivery of the Winston Churchill quote. Yeah, she's incredible. But it's a very sharp transition here to Scott getting out of the shower. In fairness, though, his hair does look so much better this season. It absolutely does. In his room, Scott finds the canema with his tail around Melissa's throat, keeping her suspended in the air, gasping for breath. Also in the room, lounging in Scott's chair like a cartoon villain, Gerard insists on a talk. I feel like Scott, in his shock, would just like drop the towel, although that would make it very awkward for everyone involved. Yeah. Gerard says that he had to involve Melissa to get a word in with Scott, who wouldn't answer his phone. That's not a you thing, Gerard. Don't take it personally. That's a Scott thing. He just doesn't answer his phone unless Allison's calling. 
Yeah, this is nothing new. That, that's well established in canon. Yes. Gerard tasks Scott with drawing out Derek and his pack, who are in hiding. When Gerard leaves, Melissa tells Scott that although she doesn't know what's going on or what the canima is or even what Scott is, she just wants Scott to give Gerard whatever he wants. I'm really surprised Melissa never suggests just moving out of Beacon Hills. That'd be step one for me. Yeah. Uh, it's just that the real estate prices there are so amazing. True. They'd be looking at a studio apartment anywhere else as opposed to a three-story house in Beacon yeah. Hills. On a nurse's salary to boot. It's the likelihood of death promo code that's like, all props <laughs> die, 21. <laughs> After hearing a chorus of howls in the woods, Boyd and Erica approach Derek at the old Hale house where he's pouring through some old text. Because who would look for him there? The old Hale house. He's looking for his doodles of styles. Boyd and Erica explain that they plan to leave tonight during the championship lacrosse game when most of the town will be distracted. Erica just turned 16 a month ago and would like to live long enough to get her driver's license. Cue Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license right here. As is his instinctive response, Derek says that Boyd and Erica need him because they need a pack and an alpha. But Boyd and Erica would rather look elsewhere for that. Derek's life is so hard, you guys. It is, but he hasn't shown himself to be the bestest alpha in the whole wide world. No, sadly not. Derek warns Boyd and Erica that all the howls they heard might not have been a large pack. It could have been the bow just effect, a hypothesis that a small number of organisms can acoustically mimic a larger number of organisms. In this case, a pair of wolves modulating their howls to sound like a whole pack. He said it right. I think before I've heard that Tyler Hecklin can speak some French. Really? I think so. It's the people who actually speak French that never get to on the show. Kind of like on this <laughs> podcast where Kate has the French line given to me instead of taking it herself. Okay, the last time I gave myself the French line, Calissa was like, oh, here's Kate showing off. She wanted the French line. And I was like, yeah, you bitch, next time I'm gonna give it to you. And what I do. Yeah, you can't win. <laughs> it's impossible to win with Calissa. We all know this. Boyd and Erica don't care if it's a full pack. They believe Derek has lost and it's time to move on. Derek says that once they start running, they won't ever be able to stop. Yeah, y'all can trust him on this one. Yeah, he actually knows what he's talking about, guys. First time for everything, I guess. Oh, rude. But also, he's projecting. He has no other way to communicate with teenagers about their life mistakes. As I'm just like projecting his own issues. Yeah, that's so true. After Boyd and Erica leave, Derek senses another presence, Peter. He throws a broken shard of mirror at him, but Peter catches it before it can hit his throat. Is that from the Canima? I don't think so, but you know why all these mirrors are broken, Kate. Yes, I just happen to have this piece of broken mirror right here. No reason. I'm definitely the sort of person who can handle seeing my own reflection. And then Peter collapses there because there's still Canima venom on it. If only. At least Peter finally lost that leather duster. Someone was like, come on, man. <laughs> Get with the times. Or he found a copy of Men's Health somewhere. <laughs> At Deaton's, Isaac learns that he and Scott can tell when an animal is getting better and when they aren't. Deaton and Scott treat a dog who isn't getting better. A very serious poopy actor. Lee Strasberg. Oh. Wait, Leonardo DiCaprio Doodle. Marshall Akali. Oh my God. Meryl Sheepdog. Deaton says that Isaac surely knows what his new powers can do for him. Strength, speed, but has he ever wondered what they can do for others? No, I'm a teenager and teenagers are very selfish. Deaton takes Isaac's hand and puts it on the dog. 
Isaac's veins turn black. Deaton explains that Isaac is taking some of the dog's pain away. Isaac cries with joy. Scott says that he cried the first time Deaton showed him how to do it too. This is my absolute favorite Isaac scene. It's wonderful. And it's kind of interesting mythology-wise because I feel like the way his veins look when he's taking the pain away, it looks like when Derek had Wolfsbane poisoning. It's true, it does. So I wonder if there's a connection there. I find it to be a very interesting piece of the werewolf mythology on the show. But I have to wonder why it took over a season and a half to get to this. Like, if Dean showed it to Scott, like, we don't know when. Maybe early on, maybe like day two of Scott knowing that Deaton knows that he's a werewolf. Because <laughs> I assume Deaton probably knew way earlier. Yeah. But I think it's weird that it took us so long to get to this point. I feel like it's one of those things because I understand that there are going to be story pieces that don't come to you right away and you want to be able to embed them in a mythos that you had already started building previously. What I think Teen Wolf sometimes either forgets to do or doesn't care to do because it's the forward movement of the story is so fast is couching this new material in something that inherently explains why we didn't know it before. Mm-hmm. and yeah. it's not like Teen Wolf is the only show to struggle with this I think the last time we talked about it Calissa you mentioned Supernatural Sabrina I feel like is the biggest defender the worst the defender Sabrina. oh yeah n- no question but I feel like Supernatural when it first started doing that they would do the thing where they'd be like here's why they don't know this but then they would kind of undermine themselves by then later acting like that wasn't the case but regardless what we needed here was something like you have to be in the right mindset to use it Or I would only share this information with someone who I think really needs it because if you do it too much, you could harm yourself. And I don't want to give you the tools to harm yourself unless I feel like you're mature enough to make a a sound determination of whether this is the right moment to use this tool. Right. Or, you know, any number of things. I just realized that you guys could do this. I've been doing some research with some other super secret human pack liaisons and they mentioned to me that this is something that werewolves can do you know whatever it is that just just a a line of dialogue would be sufficient to explain here's why we didn't tell you about this before so you're not sitting there going there are a hundred times that this would have been useful to know yeah yeah in the last almost two seasons yeah I feel like it could have even been interesting for like Isaac to then go back to Derek and be like Derek why didn't you teach us this along with like you were teaching us all the fighting and everything like that why didn't you teach us like something that could be so like beautiful and helpful to others yeah or why didn't we see Scott learning it yeah (laughs) it's like why are we giving something to not the main character And then being like, oh, the main character already knows this. Like, oh, well, that was fun and dramatic for us to learn about in the past tense, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. you're not wrong. Yeah. Maybe they felt like it was more poetic for Isaac's arc for us to see it with him than with Scott. Okay, I could kind of see that. I get it. Like, it's also just weird as like a viewer to on screen use it for the first time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Peter chastises Derek for letting the situation get so out of hand. The Kanama Gerard, newly turned self-esteem-deprived teenagers. Says the guy who bit Scott without his consent and caused all of the events of the first season. Right? I mean, pot, meat, kettle. (laughs) (laughs) Peter puts his hand on Derek's shoulder and asks that they talk. Derek sends him flying into the staircase. Good job, Derek. Derek 
doesn't like to be touched. I don't think he could be any clearer on this issue. Absolutely. No touchy. Isaac, on the other hand, really does want to talk. Since Scott always seems to want to do the right thing, he asks for Scott's advice on what to do now that the other two betas in his pack are planning to leave the pack for good tonight. Scott says he never has any idea what he's doing. Isaac asks what he's doing right now. Getting dinner. <laughs> it's just, I was just about to say, like, do you want to, like, grab dinner or something? I mean... I think it'd be smooth. I That was such a good pickup line. Yeah, really well <laughs> I was done. like, I never know what I'm doing. Well, what are you doing right now, Scott? Blushing, my God. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> I feel like it's not easy for Scott to pick up on those things. I mean, you guys remember how long it took him to piece together condom plus girl equals sex, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That is true. Isaac's like, man, I'm going to have to be very aggressive so he just throws condoms in scott's face he's like yeah yeah yes he sends like scott one of those like middle school do you like me check yes or no butters that's like as a friend right (laughs) isaac's like oh my god it's okay friends can touch penises sometimes (laughs) scott says he isn't going anywhere if that's what isaac means because there are too many people here who need him Isaac says that makes him lucky, kind of, since he doesn't have anyone. He has Derek. I mean, I know that Derek sucks at stuff, but it's not for lack of trying, man. It's because Derek won't cuddle. Mm. Like, I feel like Isaac's just, like, someone who would want to, like, have some puppy pile, like, going on, and Derek wouldn't be into that. But Scott totally seems like the type who would cuddle. Exactly. He's like, Scott, I've got this, I've got this great, you know freezer back at my place you could just crawl inside and no (laughs) (laughs) you can't say that oh my god wow (laughs) wow 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 not cool i feel like isaac and derek both should go to one of those professional cuddlers do you know about them yeah Mm mm-hmm I've read that fic. Oh yeah, I think I wrote it. But I feel like a professional cuddler should definitely take up residence in Beacon Hills. Those people need tactile affection, like stat. They do very well, especially with the uh, housing prices being what they are. (laughs) Until they get murdered. Yeah. Yeah, until they get murdered. Isaac supposes he'll go with Erica and Boyd. He wishes Scott good luck with the championship game, but Scott says he isn't going either. He can't even think about a stupid game right now. He finally gets it. And it's only because Allison is mad at him, or at least super sad and not talking to him. 100%. So if Scott's not going, Isaac's not going, Matt's dead. Uh, like how many people are left on the team? Two. <laughs> Just Greenberg and Styles. Yeah, it's Greenberg and Styles. That's it. And one of them's imaginary. So it's really just Styles. <laughs> that reminds Isaac that Scott wasn't at practice last week and doesn't know that Jackson showed up for practice and that he's planning to play in the game that night as if he weren't some homicidal lizard. <laughs> How did none of them notice that? Uh, the same way that none of them noticed that he was at school for like an entire day after everyone knew he was the Canima. <laughs> well, maybe if they actually went to school, they know it. It's a miracle the Beacon Hills High School truancy officer that we saw in season one hasn't captured them all and sent them all to truancy jail or whatever happens to truants. The real ironic part of all this is that Slappy was also the truancy officer. (laughs) (laughs) 
happy. <laughs> That's why he was going to get to retire so young. Exactly, because he was pulling double duty. Double so. duty. Danny tries to check in with Jackson, saying that Jackson has ignored all of his texts. Jackson startles as if from a trance. He definitely has no idea how he got here. Not at all. Danny's such a patient friend, though. Go, he Danny. Is. is. We all need a Danny in our lives. Jackson warns Danny to stay away from him tonight. If Danny sees Jackson running toward him, he should run the other way. <laughs> Spray that Armani right in his eyes. <laughs> While Scott eavesdrops on Jackson and Danny's conversation, Melissa comes into the locker room. I feel like she should not be in there at all. Great. Now all the other players know that his mom's a babe. What a babe. Well, they probably already knew that because surely every one of them have been through the Beacon Hills Hospital and she's the only person who works there. So true enough. That's true. We've seen their practices. Melissa then gets to hear Coach Finstock deliver an edited version of the speech from Independence Day. Oh, Coach. I just realized he's even dressed like Bill Pullman from that scene in the movie. Stiles explains that Finstock does this every year. Independence Day is his favorite movie. It's a great movie. Fun fact, if you leave the DVD on the menu instead of hitting play, eventually you'll hear Jeff Goldblum say, time's up, and then the White House explodes on screen. Nice. I know, I used to love that. It feels like Coach would have really related to Randy Quaid's character in that movie. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not addressed on the show, but I, I feel like Coach probably thinks he's been abducted by aliens before. Yeah. Definitely. His hair does look startlingly similar to that guy who got memed from that show. I'm not saying, like, it's, I'm aliens. Not saying it's aliens, but, <laughs> but it's aliens. aliens. Yep, that's, I, yeah, that's great. That's great. That's probably when someone asks him about all the weird shit in Beacon Hills, he's probably like, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. Exactly. As soon as Finstock finishes the speech, Gerard steps in, saying that although he appreciates the coach's passion, he would have chosen something with more historical value. Have you ever read Shakespeare, coach? Next time, definitely do the St. Crispin's Day speech. Hark, a literary reference. I'm sorry, was that a Crispin Glover reference over there? <laughs> <laughs> Gerard adds that he expects the lacrosse team to murder the opposition, even if they only have one co-captain playing tonight. This leads Scott to ask Finstock if he's getting benched. He is. He is. And Finstock doesn't get a say in the matter because Gerard is the principal and Scott is failing three classes. And apparently academics come first. Or whatever liberal garbage they're talking about now. I'm kind of shocked that Scott realized he was going getting benched and not Jackson. I feel like he would have thought like, you know, Jackson, the homicidal lizard who probably missed a bajillion practices and games would have been the one benched. But he probably has had a front row seat to just how much Jackson is Coach Finstock's favorite, though. Yeah. That's true. Derek continues beating up Peter until Peter starts goading him, saying, hit me. I can see that's cathartic for you. He says he can recognize that Derek has a lot of self-loathing to work through because of his complete failure. Well, now beating you up is no fun anymore, so. <laughs> Peter and Kate have so much in common. They should have banged so hard. Before the game, Styles expresses to Scott how much it pains him that he can't do the kinds of things that Scott can do to help everyone. Seeing Matt hurt his dad while he was paralyzed made him realize that. He and Derek both very much measure their own worth in terms of their usefulness to others. They have so much in common. They do. They should have banged so hard. <laughs> their heart to heart is interrupted when Fitzduck tells Styles that he's in for Greenberg because he sucks at lacrosse slightly less than Greenberg does. Which doesn't feel like a new development, but Coach says it like it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
The only person more shocked by this than Styles is his dad, who has to be reminded by Melissa that Styles is in fact on the team. Stalinsky gets to his feet and cheers that his son is on the field. I've never said those words before. Well, he's probably said it, just not with excitement. Like, oh my God, Styles is on the field again. Why is he naked? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Coach is over there like, you're gonna lose a testicle. Take it from someone who knows. I'm not saying it's aliens. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gerard talks in a low voice, knowing that Scott can hear him with his wolfy senses. How does he know for sure, though? Scott always looks like a confused puppy. You are not wrong. Boyd and Erica realize with horror that the howling sounds they heard weren't from a large pack or a small pack either. We fucked up. Yep. Made a huge mistake. That's why you should be more grateful to Derek. Don't go looking for others. Even if your doodad is a bit grumpy, doesn't know how to cuddle. Hugging him is like hugging a pine cone, I'm sure. Oh my god, did you just quote me from one of our fics? Yes. Yes, I did. I'm delighted. You know, maybe the beta should have tried parent trapping Derek with Styles to get him to relax. Peck dad, peck mom. I'm here for it. This is like a time when Derek's actually right. Yeah. Oh, it is, isn't he's, it? He's right. Oh, so special for him. It never happens again. The howls Boyd and Erica had heard before were bait, as it turns out recordings used by Allison and the Hunters to trap them. They hold hands as they hide. Aww, my little shipper heart. Uh. Gerard continues his monologuing. Of course he does. More like monolong. Oh. <laughs> Sir, are you talking to me? Says the guy standing a few feet away from Gerard. I mean, he's like <laughs> right next to the bleachers and it's like, what is happening? <laughs> like, he is. Oh, someone's lost their grandpa who's very confused. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, can, no. can we locate the kid that this grandpa belongs to? <laughs> Excuse me, is this man yours? Is he yours? <laughs> He's talking about Shakespeare and killing people. I'm very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Gerard says that Scott has until the last 30 seconds of the game to deliver Derek to him or Jackson will kill someone. It might be Melissa, Stalinsky, Lydia, Finstock, or any innocent teenager on the field. Interesting how he doesn't mention Styles by name, but I guess since Allison isn't there. Right, he would have been better off threatening her. I guess that just seemed kind of awkward since that was his granddaughter. Though I feel like he's along the same lines with Kate and he would have sold her out. Yeah. Oh, 100%, but she's just not there. It has to be somebody on the field. Yeah. Also, has anyone tried telling Gerard that if he uses the canema to kill someone who isn't a murderer, he'll turn into a canema himself? Oh, yeah. You know, no one ever uses the actual information they have on this show. You're goddamn right. Welcome to Teen Wolf. <laughs> Alternatively, Scott, just rip out Gerard's throat and then you'll be in charge of the canema. And if you tell him to cut it out, he will. Just cut it out, canema. <laughs> cut it out. Don't make me get the spray bottle. <laughs> Peter preens in the mirror as he discusses with Derek how he's not healing as fast as he once did, isn't as strong as he used to be. But somehow more handsome. I don't know how that worked. Magic? Peter claims that he needs Derek, an alpha, as much as Derek needs him. Derek asks why he would want to help a total psycho, but Peter insists that he isn't a total psycho. Yeah, gotta be fair to Peter. He's only like 99% psycho. It's still an A-plus in Psycho, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you need help, Peter says, you turn to the people you'd never expect. Not unlike Finstock and trusting Styles with actual gameplay, at which he initially fails. Do you guys see the guy in the background who's wearing a fedora over his hood? That's evidence from Matt's fedora collection. Or, I mean, is it Matt's ghost? I mean, 
you see a hoodie with a fedora over it. That's Matt in a nutshell, really. Yes, it is. Isaac sits on the bench next to Scott, who assumes that Isaac came to help. Isaac says he came to win. Isaac, you little flirt. Win his heart. I was just going oh. <laughs> to Great minds, y'all. Great minds with slash goggles fused to their face. It's like beer goggles, but sexier. That's correct. Out in the woods, the hunters close in on Boyd and Erica. Okay, riddle me this. How is this strategy right here in keeping with the code? Remember, they said no code. It was in the first episode of the season. Yeah, Gerard did, but Chris never agreed to that. Yeah, but Chris is not very good at standing up to people, as we well know. Yeah, he's a bit of a doormat, and Allison's in charge now. The closest he gets is trying to pull her back as much as he can. Allison does look fantastic stalking Boyd and Erica in slow motion, though. That is Allison looks amazing. She just is also a bitch. I'm still thinking about Allison in season one being like, if someone murdered my family, I wouldn't turn into a total psycho like Derek. Five minutes later. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. But seriously, wasn't that like last week? Yep, something like that. Scott can't grapple with Jackson from the bench. Isaac plots to take out the other players and till Finstock has no choice but to let Scott play. It really looked like Isaac wanted to kiss Scott in that shot. Didn't it? I feel like that's how most of their scenes together are. Isaac gives his teammates a wolfish grin. Oh, that guy's on my team, right? Why is he like looking at me like that? Why is he smiling at me like that? It was really disconcerting. Like he has a pretty smile, but also I'm scared. (laughs) Once again, mark me down as scared and horny. Yes. Isaac gets on the field and body slams his own teammates to take them out of the game. Finstock says the names of all the guys on the bench. Apparently Greenberg isn't one of them. Maybe he made Greenberg wait in the locker room, but you know, Greenberg probably knows what he did. (laughs) Greenberg knows what he did. Why are they letting Isaac body slam his own team? I know, right? I guess the ref is like, I don't know how to call this. They're his own team members. Coach. He was just like, wait, wait. I want to see where this goes. (laughs) One of Allison's arrows strikes Erica. So Erica tries to get Boyd to run without her. But he doubles back and catches an arrow before it can reach Erica's throat. That was so badass. Boyd's the best. He's a hero. When Jackson nicks Isaac with his claws, Isaac ends up partially paralyzed. I feel like the audience should be way more upset about what's happening. And by audience, I mean like the spectators of the game not us it's the audience Ah. like wait did someone just get paralyzed on that field why are they taking out their own players what is going on in this game is this how lacrosse works i have no idea scott tries to get melissa to leave the game for her own safety but she says she isn't going anywhere but actually melissa you might want to go to the hospital there are like six kids in there who probably need you by now I know Isaac was like, I'll try not to like, you know, put them in the hospital, but mm, that stuff looked pretty bad. Yeah, it did. And he said, wink afterward. He was like, <laughs> I won't put him in the hospital. Wink. <laughs> oh, Isaac. Melissa says she changed her mind about what she said earlier. Don't give Gerard what he wants, she says. If Scott can do something to help people, he has to do it. So that's where he gets it from. The best mom in the world. She is. Meanwhile, Allison keeps shooting arrows at Boyd and Erica. Always doing a great Boromir impression in this scene. Nerd. Until Chris shoots the bow out of her hands. Finally. Yeah. Yeah, it did take him long enough. The home team seems to be losing on both fronts. But the Beacontown Beavers are killing it. Gerard tells Scott that the real offer on the table is Allison. If Scott delivers Derek, he can have Allison. He had to go there because he knew that was the only thing Scott would actually pay attention to. 
Ew. Oh my God. That This is just so gross. What the hell? Gerard. Yeah. What century does he think this is that he can just like sell off his granddaughter? Right. Yeah. The 21st. God. Huh. <laughs> Chris tries to reason with Allison saying that she nearly killed the betas and that's not how they do things. Allison says that's not how Chris does things, but she thinks her way worked out pretty well. Chris tries to keep talking, but Allison has him talk to the hand while she makes a call to update Gerard. She leaves a voicemail since he's busy, you know, selling her out to uh, Scott. For the first time, Allison calls Gerard grandpa. Grounder, Chris, you can do it. You know, grandparents let their grandkids get away with anything, including murder. He let them get away with murder. In the locker room at the high school, Isaac tries to crawl away as Gerard has a henchman hand him a sword. He just has his sword guy hanging around. But also, like, they were carrying Isaac out on stretcher. Did they just, like, drop him off in the locker room? Did <laughs> oh, he say, right. oh, wait, I'm feeling better after all? Did Gerard say, wait, I'll take care of this? Like, I have so many questions as to how we got to this point. I forgot about that. Me too. I guess just because I was so distracted by him having a sword guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's how Teen Wolf gets ya. Gerard says he wishes it were halftime, just to be poetic. Oh my god, this bitch. This bitch. That sounds like something you would say, Will. Thank you. I actually really like that pun. <laughs> it's like, just go back to Shakespeare, old man. Like, it's just too much. I can't take it. Shakespeare was pretty fond of his puns. So. He was. Peter promises to explain to Derek how to stop Jackson. Derek asks whether he means how to kill him. But Peter says he means how to save him. I don't care about that. How do we kill him? What do you think you're talking to, Scott? Just tell me how to kill him, Jesus. Exactly. Isaac smirks when Scott comes up behind Gerard. Isaac's like, my boyfriend's here. He's gonna f*** you up. (laughs) I guess this complicated things for Gerard. Yes, Scott loves Allison, but this thing with Isaac is exciting and new. Gerard's like, this data will be entered into the algorithm. Don't you worry. Styles manages to score a goal, and it only takes some yelling from Finstock and Lydia, both to remind him that he needs to shoot the ball. So he's like, that's my son, who definitely knows how to play this game. (laughs) Back in the locker room, Scott makes short work of the henchman. Take that sword guy. But in the process, he loses track of Gerard. Oh my god, he was literally right in front of you. I know, right? Did the Canima just whoosh him away? Peter tells Derek that Jackson's identity is disappearing within the Canima, but he can be pulled back through his heart. There's one person with whom Jackson shared a real bond, Lydia. He said whom? Yeah, I don't know about this. Allison seemed like she was closer to Jackson, honestly, like friend-wise. Like, I feel like they shared more, they opened up more, whereas like Lydia and Jackson, a lot of it was just very surface, at least from what yeah. we saw. Yeah. yeah. But hey, Peter's much better at walking people through things than Dean is. Dean would have just been like, what do you think? Do or do not, Derek. There is no try. I feel like Dean's just like the kind of therapist you see in TV and movies. We're like, but how does that make you feel? Totally. Peter adds that Derek has always lacked heart. That's rude and untrue and I'll fight him. Even Peter won't underestimate the power of human love. That's kind of like internalized speciesist. Yeah, I can see that. Meanwhile, Lydia is part of the outpouring of human love towards Styles, who has become the hero of the lacrosse championship game. Oh, Styles is so happy here, but that's short-lived. Scott returns from the locker room to find the clock is down to the last 30 seconds. He's run out of time. Run up to Jackson and just hug him. Try it. Hug it out. I just think it's worth. Go, go. It's worth a shot. Jackson's eyes go reptilian and his claws emerge. In full view of everybody. Shit. No one ever notices things on the lacrosse field. 
You know that, Kate. Or anywhere. Yeah, what is in this town's water supply? Though I suppose this is one of the like, more reasonable things that happened during the course of this game. Yeah. The good news is the Beacon Hills High School Cyclones win! They totally beat those beavers. They beat those beavers right off. That took a turn. <laughs> but then the lights go out. Maybe Scott should work harder at knowing his loved one's heartbeats. Check for Melissa, Styles, Lydia, Stolinski. Danny. Don't forget about Danny. And Danny, of course. I, I don't think even Gerard would go for Danny, though. Like, he just knows Danny is just too good. He understands there has to be a certain amount of good in the world. You There's know? a and line. He, and even yeah, Gerard won't pop, cross that line. Yeah. Gerard's like, no. No, not that perfect sweet angel. When the lights come back up, Jackson is on the ground, unresponsive. Coach runs over to him. Move. This is what I like. Repeat. It is not Greenberg. This is serious. (laughs) This is not Greenberg. Coach calls for a medic and Melissa comes over. The only medic in town. Mm -hmm. She confirms that Jackson isn't breathing and she enlists a frantic Lydia to help her try to resuscitate him. I love Melissa. You know I love Melissa. But she could have gone for someone who wasn't freaking the f*** out here. Like, one of the lacrosse guys. Literally anyone who wasn't in love with him would have been a better choice. Yeah. Yeah, it just bothers me that she, like, hones in on Lydia and just, like, keeps, like, yelling at her to do it. Yeah. Scott and Isaac see the blood on Jackson's claws and realize he stabbed himself. Things only get worse when Stalinsky comes to a realization of his own. Styles is missing. The episode ends there. We have a new mystery. Bum, bum, bum. Where's Styles? Things are yeah. heating up, folks. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section of Battlefield. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. If it's about survival, isn't a little agony worth it? I mean, what if it just gets worse? What if it's agony now and then and it's just hell later on? And think about something Winston Churchill once said. If you're going through hell, keep going. Wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with Lyndon Ashby, who played Sheriff Stalinsky on Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. Lyndon, how did Teen Wolf come into your life? I was in, I was living in Atlanta at that point, and you know, the girls were going to school, and Susan was working. I think she was doing Vampire Diaries, and I got this audition for a show called Teen Wolf, and my immediate reaction was, Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. Like they, they can't come up with anything better than this. Uh, you know, it was a bad movie in the eighties and now we're, we're they're they're making a TV show out of it. I, so I wasn't really hopeful when I read it. <laughs> great. It was great. It was a really good script. Yeah. And so I, I was doing something else I was working and so I went okay well let me just put this on tape and I and I ran down to my agency at the in Atlanta and got on tape and then I guess that they wanted a call back or something I was working on something else and I and I uh and I went hey I I can't I'm not I'm not in town I can't I can't do a call back um and Jeff was like we don't need a call back we love this guy <laughs> And so I got the job. 
Nice. Awesome. That's awesome. At least that's what I heard. <laughs> and and uh, and so that's how it came into my life is is because quite simply it was good. It was really good. Yeah. 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 And I didn't expect it to be good. And I was happy that it was. That has kind of been a, a running motif. We have several running motifs on this podcast. And the main one is everyone's like, Teen Wolf? What? What? Why? Low Why would you do that? Yeah, low, low expectations. <laughs> really yeah. low expectations. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, and, and it's funny because I got that same reaction from so many people over the years. I watched the show... I didn't want to. I thought it was going to be really bad. I thought it was going to be like the movie. And oh my God, it's good. They're like, they were so surprised that it was good. That would be the running motif of my life. No <laughs> expectations. No. That bar really low and they're pleasantly surprised. They're there like, oh, I thought you'd be such an asshole and you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just, they saw Mortal Kombat and they were like, that Johnny Cage real dick i don't know if we can have right. him on our right. on our show yeah exactly and then they're like wait Rizzles. he's an actor that's what it was he was just acting. an actor on the subject of the moral combat writer Alyssa clark mentioned that you two were practicing martial arts uh, on the mm-hmm. set of the show as yeah. someone trained in martial arts do you wish that noah had more fight scenes on the show i do i do i uh i never i mean in the I finally got like a quick fight scene in the very end. It was very satisfying. Um, and I think that, you know, it was written that, that Noah had, you know, Selinsky had a, a military background before he came, became a cop. It would have been fun to have a few good dust ups, uh, but it was, it was fine not to. And it was, and, and Alyssa's a good martial artist. She's a really good martial artist. Long, long story long there is, yeah, I wish I, I wish I had, had more Maybe fights. in the movie, Will. <laughs> Will? No comment. If you don't, it's Will's fault. No so. Will, okay, let's, all right, let's pump the brakes here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, no, but no, I hope so. I hope so. That would be a lot of fun. So it would, it would be a lot of fun because you're right. We only got a little hint. We only got a taste of it right at the end. And uh, maybe we can get some more of that. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, during other interviews, uh, we've had several people remark on just how young Tyler Posey and Dylan O'Brien were at the start of the show. What was it like watching them grow up during the course of Teen Wolf? You know what? It was a privilege. It was a privilege. They went from these really good kids and turned into really good men. And it was fun to watch them along the way and and it's hard man unless you've walked in those shoes you don't know what it's like to be a tv star at you know 18 years old and to do that final bit of growing up in in under those circumstances and they they did really well they did really well and uh and i'm very proud of who they are today wonderful Linded, did your appearance on the short-lived series Werewolf prepare you for a life in Beacon Hills? Absolutely not. Uh, (laughs) That was that was so funny. Um, I was on this the pilot of I think it was the pilot of Werewolf, and and it was me and Gail O'Grady. I don't know if you know who Gail O'Grady is. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm a yeah. lifetime fan. <laughs> yeah. 
Gail, and then Gail was on NYPD Blue, and she was, you know, God, I just worked with her on something else, like about five years ago, and we were laughing about it. And they, it, it also taught me an invaluable lesson in don't trust special effects people or or pyrotechnic people. Oh yeah, they were in this VW. I remember. I think we're in a Volkswagen Bug, and um, they push this big werewolf head straight through the windshield. So in order to do that, they had to blow the windshield right before the werewolf head hit. And it's this werewolf head on a big stick, I think, and they're shoving it through. And they put plastic explosives up in the corner of the windshield. And they're like, ah, not going to be any big deal. You're going to be fine. And uh, they blow it. And this plastic explosives just peppered my face blew holes through my my i had a leather jacket that blew holes through um bleeding and going what the hell it's horrifying and uh yeah 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 so i learned a good lesson that scene is fun because i've seen that show like i it was like way back in the day it was on the sci-fi channel or something like that yeah back when sci-fi was new and needed all their content and um, I remember watching that show because it had weird, interesting mythology, but also I love werewolves. And then once I realized you're in, I was like, we got to talk about this show because <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's like a small scene and all that, but it's just this, yeah. there's like publicity stills from it. It's like a werewolf on top of this VW bug and y'all are in it, like making like yeah. scared faces. And it's just like, what the f- is happening in yeah. this thing? Real ones, yeah. apparently. Yeah, real scared faces. <laughs> and they always wait to the very last, like you've done all your other work. And then they set the explosives. They're like, well, if we blow them up at this point, it won't matter. Exactly. They've already filled the other stuff. So, yeah. right. you know. As long as there yeah. wasn't a hair in the gate, we're good. So go ahead and just yep. pop it off. So. Yep. <laughs> awesome. You're going over here. going old school right there. Old school. Got to check that I gate. Remember, I remember I was, yeah, check that gate. Chicken in the gate. Um, I remember uh, talking to somebody about when I when I first started that there was there was no video playback and you know the you would you would the director would stand next to the camera and they they'd shoot the scene and then the director would look at the cameraman he'd be right over his shoulder watching and he'd go did you get it and the cameraman would look up and he'd go got it and they'd go all right moving on and uh so yeah you know didn't you didn't know till you saw dailies what what you really shot yeah it's like three days later you get to see what happened and it's like if you didn't get it well it's like we're in a different state now maybe or something who knows what's what's happening so oh yeah 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 yeah. you'd be on location and you could never leave to go home until the lab you know the 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 prints had come out of the lab and the film had come out of the lab and and everything was checked out as okay and and i remember one time they like they the lab destroyed a a a roll of film um a reel and we had to reshoot everything and you know yeah it happened if you could be any teen wolf creature or supernatural being what would you be probably just a werewolf i think we've gotten multiple werewolves and yeah. as an answer yeah. and i feel like people are like i don't know is that too basic but i say no people love werewolves yeah. for a yeah. reason keep it because there was none none of the creatures flew right no yeah well maybe the cannibal could have flown if we'd gotten that far in its lifespan or something because i think Derek, oh right because there was the whole thing where they he was like that has wings yeah right yeah exactly yeah. but we didn't get that far because we saved 
Jackson, I guess. So uh, if, there a, yeah. if there was a flying creature, I'd be a flying creature. Nice. Flying would be yeah. dope. Yeah. He could like crawl on the ceiling and stuff because That's he true. was part lizard. That's true. But mm-hmm. that's not going to get you to a different country, though. No. Right. <laughs> right. It's very true. We spoke with Melissa Ponzio about what it was like being the only competent nurse in the hospital. And we wanted to know about your experience as the only competent lawman in Beacon Hills. <laughs> well, clearly, I wasn't that competent of a, of a sheriff because all my employees got killed. <laughs> not your fault, though. You monsters. I don't know. The Monster. Buck stops here. Um, <laughs> That was that was pretty bad. It's like well, I, I imagine that no one would come work for us. They must have had amazing benefits and pay. Right. Uh, the the yeah. life insurance package was robust. Very. Yes, it was. I can only had, assume. Very. Yeah. The sheriff's department only had two big massacres, like in season two, and then in three B with yep. the Oni. Other than that, okay. You, I, you know. I want you to play back the phrase "only had two big massacres" <laughs> in your head. <laughs> I'm just is what I would like you to do. I, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as bad as the hospital. I mean, like every episode, like everyone's dying at the hospital, it seems like sometimes. So yeah, yeah, a horror show. But That's hey. Stalinsky's re-election re- speech. There were only two there, well, major there, massacres in my, t- in my, in my department. Sheriff of Beacon, Beacon Hills. There have only <laughs> been two major massacres at the police station. Um, yeah. <laughs> vote, vote Stalinsky. it's catchy so if stalinsky had been bitten by one of these monsters what Mm -hmm. do you think he would have turned slapped the shit out whichever one did it (laughs) (laughs) on teen wolf you could be bitten by a werewolf and turn into something else like a canima um so if stalinsky had been bitten what do you think he would turn into sometimes the form you take reflects the person you are on teen wolf oh he would have turned into like a bear wolf Nice. Oh, I would have really enjoyed a were bear. Yeah, we have like berserkers, but it's not really. It's not really the same thing. No, it's not. Berserkers weren't the same thing. No, he'd be full on like a bear person. Nice. I would really enjoy were bear. Me too. Yeah, unless you like had like that speech impediment, like Elmer Fudd. (laughs) (laughs) Hunting whale bears. <laughs> kind of just kills the mood when he's trying to attack you or something. He's a werebear. <laughs> were oh my god! It'd be kind of like someone like with a full-on Boston accent. Werebear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! That Good might be Matt Damon's now. next movie. Yes. Yep, werebear. W- a werebear. <laughs> this is our promo for this episode yep. just so yep. you guys know yes no this is good this is good stuff let's keep going so okay so what about styles styles is the other sort of perennial human on the show if he'd been bitten what do you think he would have turned into he would have like turned into tigger <laughs> aware tigger oh that. that is awesome uh, you can just imagine him like bouncing around though yeah right yeah, right? yeah. it works bounce even higher it'd be it'd be awesome that's awesome oh i want to watch that now yeah me i'm too. sure there's a winnie the pooh teen wolf fusion out there somewhere there will be maybe. after this episode maybe <laughs> the preserve is just the hundred acre wood yep you know yeah. nice. did you have any head cannons for noah that we didn't get to see on screen like maybe how 
him and Claudia met or anything in his backstory? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I always try and, and uh, you know, flesh out my characters, you know, where they came from, who they are, what their background is. And that's just my stuff. I don't, you know, it doesn't. So, you know, so I know it gives me a foundation to build on. I, I always sort of thought that that Stalinsky and Melissa would have a little something, something going on. But we'll uh, do so well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, we still do. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I know. It's not Will's fault. It's not Will's I wasn't fault. the showrunner of this hit TV show. No, unfortunately. I'm, I'm saying because we we were like, because that was one of the uh AMA questions we had was like, did you yeah. ever think there was something between them? And Close and I were like, yeah. And you were like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was. Yeah, we didn't tell the kids about it or anything, but you of know, course, of course, that would have been, of course, yeah. keeping it classy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, keep what it classy. Nails. Yeah. Yes. You guys get married. Styles and Scott actually get to be brothers finally. Yeah. 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 It would yeah. be adorable. Very sweet. Yeah. Officially mm. brothers. Mm. And then Lydia, Lydia's mom was pretty hot. <laughs> I'm just that's, saying. That's fair. That's right? very fair. Yeah. Very, mm. very fair. I mean, like, I I feel like the entire population of Beacon Hills, like, student and parent was like, this is a really good gene pool, you know? Yeah. Like, they're massacres, but uh, the like, gene pool is really worth good. it. But they're all open casket because they're so beautiful. <laughs> so, <Darn>. I mean... <laughs> right, right. It's a good yeah. looking town. Good looking town. A lot of good-looking corpses. Live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse, right? Yeah. It's the Beacon Hills way. It is. This is kind of related to Calissa's question about, like, do you, you know, come up with things in your head that aren't necessarily written into the show? Um, Sheriff Stilinski's first name wasn't revealed until season six, and fans had a lot of guesses during the preceding seasons about what his first name was. At what point did you find out what his first name was, and did you come up with the first name for the character before season six? No, um, I guess we had talked about it a little bit, and uh, and and Noah was actually a fan's idea at a, at a convention, and. Really? Yeah. And, you know, and I told Jeff the story is that, you know, she always thought it was Noah because he, you know, gathered the the people and the, you know, the animals and everyone together and, you know, and took care of them. That's cute. Um, oh, yeah. That's, very like sweet. That. that's great. Yeah. On the subject of Teen Wolf fans, there's some of the most passionate fans out there. Have they you are. had any other um, memorable fan encounters that you'd like to share with us? Teen Wolf fans are the best. Um, team of watchers are, are the best. They, and I tell you what always gets me is it that, that you know the people who come up and they they tell you how this little show, this TV show, impacted their life, and and it and it's and it never ceases to amaze me that we you know, we collectively made this show that went out into the world and touched so many people in so many different ways. And it's, it came back tenfold. I mean, the, the, I've never met a mean, bad Teen Wolf fan. 
you, you know, people are always like, oh, you know, social media and all this, and oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hey, man, all the, all, all, they're all really nice. <laughs> I, I like my social media, you know, people. Um, and, and I think of them more as people than as fans. I, I, I love talking to them. I like interacting with them. I like, I like them. They're, we, a lot of really nice people watched our show. You've played so many different sorts of characters. What kinds of roles are you interested in tackling next? Like, is there a genre of story you haven't been in yet that you'd like to, to jump into? Not so much a genre. I, I, God, I'm, I love good writing. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, the older you get, the more you realize that it, it, it begins, it begins, it lives and dies on the writing. You know, I mean, you can, you can up a good script but you cannot make a bad script good it's just pointless um so yeah not a genre but it's I, i'd like to do a genre of well-written projects with great characters and great dialogue yeah. fair enough that's that's a genre i'm interested in <laughs> nice nice fair enough who in the cast of teen wolf do you think would be the best alpha probably deaton I think because he understands it all and he's got that wisdom and I think he would be a great alpha. Nice. That's a good answer. I like that. What about the actors? Oh, like actors? Good Lord, don't trust any of us with with, with, <laughs> with that kind of responsibility. Uh, don't we can't even like walk around with sharp objects. Uh, <laughs> Much less be a sharp object. Were there any actors or characters that you wish you'd had more screen time with? Yeah, I didn't get to work a ton with uh, with Allison and you know Crystal, and I didn't get to work a ton with Daniel and Gideon, Al, uh, Crystal mostly. Nice. Yeah. 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 I feel like there's two very powerful scenes between uh, Allison and the sheriff, and yeah, I definitely would have liked to see more of yeah the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, me too. Do you have any fun stories from the set uh, during season two? Season two, it was great because we we all we were all coming back to work after this thing had come out. You know, you, you worked the first season, and then you you know this thing goes out into the world, and then then it's become this this success, and 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 no one really changed in season two. You know the 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 boys are still boys and just as nutty and 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 it's high energy and um i don't know we laughed a lot we laughed a lot yeah that's awesome yep it's always good to know that the show like a show that 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 you enjoy working on uh that that, that can come through in the show itself that you hear these stories mm. and it's like oh they they all had a great time doing it you know because it's just you also hear stories where like they were all miserable and it's like yeah. oh that's awful that's so yeah. terrible yeah. but it's great I, I i and i've been on those sets that are that are miserable sets to be on and it's you just go life is too short what was it like getting to work with your wife susan walter on the show you know i have worked with susan walters before we met at work mm -hmm. uh we were doing a soap opera in new york called loving and we played cousins. And, <laughs> yeah, right. Was it set in Alabama? Ah! 
was. I fight for that one, Will. It was, she was, it was southern New York. Florida, so, so, you know, we're like, hey, man. Close. Close enough. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. No, I think it was upstate New York. Um, and I've worked with Susan quite a bit, and, and I love working with her. She's really good. She's definitely the talented one in the family. Aww. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're both very talented both people. Talented. <laughs> well, she's more talented than me. She is. Trust me. I can take it. <laughs> I've watched I've watched her work and I've watched my work and I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you win. The act off. The act. The act, yes. <laughs> so the relationship between Styles and his dad is one of the best on the show. What mm. was it like creating that relationship with Dylan O'Brien? Easy. That's it. Well, that's definitely a plus. It hate it, it'd yeah. be awful if it was hard and complicated. It's like, oh, it was a no, struggle. Right. Oh God, this kid, I got a scratch. <laughs> oh, he's so unpleasant. I get nothing from him. He just sits there. <laughs> I still get very emotional whenever um, I watch the scene in which uh, Sheriff remembers Styles. Uh-huh. What was your favorite line that Noah? favorite line or moment that Noah had throughout the course of the show? You know, that was, and I, and it's funny because I remember shooting that, that scene with, and Katie was directing and we were B unit and it was a really small crew that we were, you know, shot with on that scene. And it was, it was great. Um, and like profound things that I, things that I loved that I said, um, more moments more moments um that was a lovely one uh i remember another b unit i think scene um after the lacrosse game and he and and he said he wasn't a hero and i said you were tonight that was i love that um i not dressed like that, you're not. I love that one. <laughs> uh, it's a great scene. Uh, great, it's great. Um, I don't know. So many. <laughs> so many, many, many. Awesome. That's wonderful. What scene from season two was the most fun or the most challenging to film? We did a lot of nights, I think. In Georgia, in the middle of winter. So they were all, it was really cold really 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 cold you're not the first person to bring up the cold that has come yeah. up multiple it was, times and it was cold it was yeah. cold, cold cold and it was so funny because those guys were trying to like i guess they were like trying to be like wim hof and and you know they were they would not put on jackets because they were not going to have jackets on and i'm just looking i'm like you guys are idiots <laughs> <laughs> Dude, susan was okay i remember actually Susan coming to set at one point and going, you can't dress like that, Lyndon. You need to stop. You need to do better. Because I would put like long underwear <laughs> and then a sweater and then put my uniform on. And I looked like I weighed like 200 pounds. And she'd, <laughs> and she'd be like, you have to have some vanity. You can't just go out there on camera. Like that. I'm, like, I'm warm. I don't care. <laughs> and uh, 
I go, I'll just put the, I'll wear the jacket. I'll zip it up and no one will know. And uh, it's a bulletproof yeah, vest. Was, it's, it's, that's yeah, it doesn't have a lot of padding. Exactly. I was Safety. Down. I was toasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. You got to be comfortable when you're doing all that stuff. So. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You directed uh, the episode Face to Faceless in season six. How I did. did how did that come about? And what was it like being on the other side of the camera? Well, there was this great writer who wrote this episode and, and I begged him, I said, please let me direct this. And he said, okay. Oh, who wrote that episode? I thought it was Will. I'm confused. It was. Wow. Uh, uh, thanks, thanks. Uh, it's okay, I was about to be like, and then Jeff said yes. So, uh, <laughs> but. Um, I, I, you know, I talked about it the, the season before and then I talked about it, you know, and so they, they, Jeff let me direct uh, an episode and, and it was really, it was really fun and I loved doing that. And since then, I guess I've done, uh, uh, one, two, three, go, four Lifetime movies and directed and and susan and i actually direct oh, together that's so cool and, and that's been that's been really great um, that's awesome yeah no it is and people are kind of like "Ooh, you work with your wife you direct and i'm like yeah and she she sees things i don't see i see things she doesn't see she has strengths i have strengths and and we're i speak for myself i'm much better with her than i am without you know, alone um it was great. It was great. And, and Will, you really did write a really nice episode. Thank you very much. Thank you. He directed the hell out I of love, yeah, love, I love to get to, to uh, direct that opening fight sequence that where all the guys surround. Uh, yeah. Oh, what was her name? I can't remember. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And I learned something on that because they're like, do you, 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 we got a crane. Do you want a crane? You know, we got a crane budget. And I was like, I don't think I'll need a crane on this, you know, in this fight sequence. It's not really what. And they go, and I can't remember if it was Tim or Dave who said, if they offer you a crane, take it. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. Yeah. I'm like, no, we can get up. We could probably just get up on the roof and shoot down and, and just, you know, be the same. Like, yeah, we can't go on the roof, Lyndon. I'm like, all right, give me a <laughs> they offer you the best toys you just say please yep. and thank Take you the toy yes Take the toy yes cranes are great yeah because you know Trust joe me. would be like he doesn't want the crane fine fine give me back that money fine i don't yep. care we'll put that somewhere else because yeah 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 uh you worked with russell mulcahy on the third resident evil film was it fun getting to work with him again on team it was amazing getting to work with russell again um I love Russell. And I mean, That's I don't great. even say that, you know, what would it be metaphorically? I love Russell. He is a beautiful human being. And and he's so talented. I mean, yes. he's such a talented director. And and he's just a joy to be around. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's just a great person, a lot of fun. And we would see dailies from Teen Wolf, and it's like, I didn't know you could put the camera where he put the camera. It's like, I never would have thought that, you know, and you just get right. these shots back, and you're just like, this is so great. 
like we have an embarrassment of riches i used to love watching him uh just storyboard it just freehand storyboard mm -hmm. he knew just like what he wanted that frame to look like and then he'd get it yeah yeah, but you had to you had to speak Russell sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yep. It was another yep. language and you had to learn it real fast. And yep. Yep. Uh, it was good. So on when I was in LA working on the movie, he our offices were next to each other. And yep. like, we would meet with Jeff for an hour or so. And then Russell would go off and just start doodling on on his legal pads. And then you kind of go in there and take a little peek and you're like, oh my God, this is gonna look so good. It's like if this ends up in the movie, it's gonna be an amazing shot and uh, it's gonna be incredible. So I know it's it's great. So yeah, we've talked a little bit about the Teen Wolf movie announcement. Uh, How did you feel when you first heard the news, and what would you like to see Sheriff doing whenever uh, the movie opens, or like where's he at now, and what would you like to see happen with him in the film? God, Jeff and I talked about that months before. You know, he's like, "What do you what do you think about a movie?" What do you? And I'm like, "Yeah, I think I said that would be a blast," and uh, and then it got announced and and uh as far as what i'd like to see i learned a long time ago that like i his ideas are better than my ideas <laughs> uh i'm like write me some good stuff you know he's like what do we, he used to be like what do you want to you know this season what do you see you know happening with stalinsky and you know da, 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 da. i'd be like just write me good stuff man <laughs> um and he would so i defer he is quite Fair good at, at that writing stuff so that's good yeah <laughs> that kid's gonna go someplace <laughs> he's gonna make it i think he's gonna be yep. all right i yep. think he's gonna be okay were there any props that you got to keep from the original run of the show i have my uniform and I have uh, the plaque from my desk. Nice. Um, what else do I have? I don't know. Uh, not a ton of stuff. I know I've got those two things. Nice. Yeah. Well, those are the most important things. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Sexy uniform. <laughs> do you have a favorite Teen Wolf episode or season? for that matter hotel california was a good one yeah i yeah. thought or motel california whatever it was um god there were a lot of good ones a lot a lot of yeah. good ones i remember uh, face to face was being pretty good oh, yeah, it's, it's well, pretty good it's pretty good i didn't want to brag but uh and <laughs> that's why were, i brought it up so it's not it's not bragging if you just agree with me i just go <laughs> uh, and i thought the stuff like with void styles there was some amazing oh, stuff in that yeah 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 there's this I, I love the scene between you and and uh uh void styles where you're seeing you see him and it's just yeah. it's rough it's rough just because of oh, all so the emotions good. happening you know, back and we're mostly from from Sheriff Stalinsky because it's like that's that's my son, but that is not my son. And it's it's like this is a monster wearing my son, yeah. and I don't know what to do. You know, and uh, it's mm, so yeah. good, so good. Oh, I remember another. I remember another scene that I loved having him committed to Eichenhaus. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Crushing. And it was, you can't stay here. You forgot your pillow. You know, it's like, it's those things when oh. you talk about, you talk about something else instead of what you're really talking about. And it, it was just, it was a really, really nice scene. I, I remember breaking that scene in the room with the other writers yeah. and talking about like, it's going to be the teaser of this episode. And, and Jeff just had the idea that Stalinsky gets hung up on the pillow. And, mm. and then that's the thing that's like the breaking point for him. And it was, uh, we were just like, we're going to break our hearts right here at the table, Jeff. And then he's like, I know, I know. <laughs> you know? And then he writes this amazing scene and then it's just like, it's crushing. It's just crushing and so yeah. good. So, oh. Yeah, and the, um, you know, great scenes are like that. You, people don't say what they're, and so often in life, they don't, you can't articulate what you're really feeling, so you transfer to something else. Even with Teen Wolf having been over for four years, there are new fans discovering the show every day. Mm -hmm. Do you have any sort of message to to the fans? I love you. Thanks. That's it. Sweet and simple, I like it. Mm -hmm. Sweet and simple, yep. yeah, that's good. Without them, we wouldn't be here, so. Right, right. Lyndon, do you have any upcoming projects you can tell us about? I did in March, that movie I was talking about uh, was called Trust, and it's a little um, art movie, uh, festival movie, I think. We're getting into festivals and whatnot. And then Susan and I went off to Atlanta and directed two you know, lifetime movies, or I don't know if they're going to be lifetime or Hallmark. One was a thrillery kind of thing, but they've changed the names. So I don't, I can't even. Lifetime always goes and changes the names. I know. Very confusing. Man, it was, it, look, it was such a good, <laughs> one title was so good. They were both good. One was called Crazy Neighborhood Moms, which I was like, I would watch that. And now Absolutely. I don't know what it's, it's called something else. Um, and then the other was called Romance in Bloom, and now it's called a something of love, a bouquet of love, or something like that. I don't know. But we will IMDb this and insert yeah. the titles here. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. It could be, but they were really, really fun. And then I came back, and then I just did this uh, 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 movie for Netflix called Purple Hearts, and it's really good really good script and really well done and i have very high hopes for it awesome i'm Can't such wait. a awesome. like you know it's it's great it's, it's wonderful Lyndon. this has been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you about yes. something we all love uh you got great thank you very much for having me wolfies we had a great time talking with Lyndon, but now it's time to get back to spoilers we talked earlier about Lydia's love for Jackson being the key that saves him at the end of the season, but could it also have been the love of a friend? Maybe yeah. that should have been the way to Jackson's heart through his friendship with Danny. Scott, oh! yeah, that would have been, now that would have been great. Actually, that would have been, been great if they're like, it's totally Lydia and it fails. And then they're like, Danny. And it's like, Danny brings him back. Oh, that would have been so good. Yeah. Like nothing against Jackson and Lydia, except for it was, a really unhealthy relationship so I guess some things against it but yeah I, I feel like we got more like compassion from Danny towards Jackson and like you know it's just they they just seemed like they were better as like yeah. friends and like they cared about each other more than Jackson Lydia ever did yeah. and it's more certainly with Danny it's a more unconditional right yeah. 
love yeah. because Lydia, there's no question that Lydia put conditions on their relationship that was abundantly clear. Yeah. Absolutely. It really should have been Danny at the end. Oh, wasted opportunity. Really wasted. I mean, we even had like early on whenever, wasn't it that uh, Jackson was out buying new pads for Danny or a new yeah. helmet or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 In season yeah. one. Yeah. And he like, you know, he didn't text Lydia to stay away from the game, but he warned Danny not to come out of the goalpost. Oh, it was all right there. It was mm-hmm. all right there. You could have had it all, Jeff. I feel like there's a tendency in most stories, but especially stories about teenagers to prioritize romantic love. Yeah. And I mean, that that's actually kind of the entire premise of Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> that, I was actually just going to bring up Frozen. Yeah, and that how everyone that... assumes yeah. that it's going to be romantic love because that's what we think when we hear the word love. But yeah. But the word love is so much bigger than that. That meme of the guy pushing, but- or trying to decide which button to push. And he's like wiping the sweat off his face. And one button says normalizing intimate friendships between men. And the other button says make it gay. And uh, I was like, that's, that's what this is right here. This is the perfect opportunity to normalize intimate friendship between men and have it be spectacular. I understand that hesitance though, not in the sense of like, I don't want to normalize intimate relationships between men, but because there's also a dearth of queer representation. So it's kind of like both of these things are important and underrepresented. But yes, this case would have been great for that. And I feel like particularly because Teen Wolf is a show without homophobia and Danny is an openly gay character. Yeah. That not only normalizing intimate friendships between male characters, but destigmatizing meaningful friendships with queer people that are not sexual in nature. Yeah. That it's not like, but gay. (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. Definitely needs to be more of that. And this was sadly a missed opportunity. You know, they talk about how Peter's resurrection doesn't come without a price, but I mean, it kind of does come without a price. Yeah. I mean, Peter certainly doesn't pay any sort of price. Right. It comes with a price for others, not for Peter. It came with a price for Lydia. But even outside of Lydia, it's not like, I feel like things are really thrown out of whack in the universe. Like, you know, it's not one of those like, there's checks and balances, like, you know, he came back and so other people started dropping dead or anything like that. Yes, it's very unfortunate that Lydia started suffering, but it's just weird to me that, yeah, they talk, they make a point to say that, but then, yeah, there's no one outside of Lydia who really suffers. And even then, it's like her suffering wasn't from the coming back part. It was from, it was, it's not a result of the coming back, it's a result of what he did before he even died. Poor Lydia. Sure, she manipulates people in season one, but nothing like what Peter does to her. Speaking of manipulation, Gerard tries threatening Melissa in this episode. When that doesn't work, is that why Gerard kidnaps Styles to bring Derek out of hiding? By the way, no one ever finds out what happens to Styles at the end of this episode. The mistake that yeah. Gerard made there was assuming that Scott would tell Derek that Styles was missing, which is also assuming that Scott himself would notice. Scott does notice Isaac in this episode. Rewatching the scene with Isaac at the vet clinic, I realized that Isaac doesn't even know what he's doing when Deaton shows him how to take pain. So there can't be much there to do with intention, right? But then later, don't they say that Theo needs to have intention to do it? Yeah. Maybe it just comes naturally to some people. It does make sense. Isaac's very sensitive, whereas Theo is a selfish prick. That's true. <laughs> That's why Isaac wears so many scarves. <laughs> oh, Isaac, who only flirts with Scott in this episode and then Allison later. Two, three for life. 
I totally ship that OT3. But on the subject of Allison, she never has to answer for any of this. Nope, nope, nope. I don't have a problem with the character arc they do with Allison, but there's absolutely no processing of this. It's almost like it never happened. Yeah, it's a very sad missed opportunity for great character drama and character growth. Another thing that doesn't ultimately get discussed is Styles' kidnapping, which we see at the very end of this episode. I forgot that we literally have Stolinsky yelling for Styles that he's missing, and it's just not a thing Scott's worried about. Yeah, when I was looking back on the end of this season, I thought that Scott didn't notice because he was preoccupied with other issues, which is still not great, but there is a lot going on. And I would understand if he wasn't just like, okay, I need to have like little GPS dots on everyone in my life at all times, you know, because ultimately the kidnapping is a pretty short period of time, but this is so much worse than that. Yeah. For some reason in my head that I I had it that Scott had left the lacrosse field by the time this happened that he wasn't like literally just standing there watching everything go down. But it's so bad. Like, oh my God, Scott, man, that's your best friend. It's not a fair comparison because it doesn't happen in this point in the story. And Derek doesn't even know that Styles is missing. But Derek's pitching in with everyone in 3B trying to find Styles. And he is not Styles' best friend since they were small children. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. kind of bad that at this point in the story, Scott hears Stalinsky calling for Styles and actually saying, my son is missing. Where's my son? Yeah. And really not having much of a reaction to that at all. Okay. Well, now that I am thinking about this for a second, it is all terrible. And I wonder if this moment is Jeff deciding that Stalinsky is who we're going out on in this moment that we it's that it's a father's terror is what we're going to go out on so we don't get Scott you know like who knows if that was something that was shot and then they made a choice in the editing bay that's like Lyndon's doing superb as he always does let's just go out on where's my son I'm completely okay with that the problem is at least the way I remember it and we haven't rewatched the finale so maybe right our minds just smoothed over the interim and Mm -hmm. we just misremembered what happened. But I don't remember Scott freaking out about Styles being missing in Master Plan. I don't either. The way I had remembered it was that he didn't notice that Styles was missing and that's why he's not freaking out. So then when we rewatched this episode, I was like, wait a minute, if he completely knew that Styles was missing, why isn't he freaking the f*** out in Master Plan? So maybe we'll have to revisit this once we do our rewatch of Master Plan. But the way I remembered it, we don't have Scott freaking the fuck out. Yeah, I don't remember that either. We'll just have to see what happens. Which like is pretty bad because in the pilot, he is freaking the fuck out when he finds out that Allison got a ride home from Derek. And I understand why he thinks the worst of what could be happening, but he did just meet Allison like two days earlier. That's true. If that, it was like two days ago and he was like losing his shit versus now he doesn't seem to be losing his shit, but maybe we should reserve judgment for master plan. Maybe there's a lot of Scott breaking the fuck out and we just misremembered it. Yeah. There is some, but then he kind of just gets distracted. (laughs) Like, so like it it does open, it seems like with him freaking out because I'm just like, yeah, reading a breakdown. But then, yeah, he just kind of like gets distracted in true Scott fashion. Well, doesn't he start dealing with Allison later? Doesn't like 
Allison kind of come into the story and like he realized he discovers all the stabbing that she's been up to. First, he starts freaking out because of the whole Peter, like Derek and Peter working together. Wait, is does Scott not know that Peter's alive? Does he find that out in the next episode? I don't know if he like doesn't know, but he doesn't definitely doesn't know they're working together. I don't know. And that's like just the problem with so much happening so quickly is like we really just don't know when any characters find anything out like and if they ever do and that right. which i think is the worst part yeah. i am okay with like okay you have to understand how the timeline of teen wolf works we're seeing nearly everything in real time we're not talking about a one season to one year ratio the way we are for a lot of shows yeah we're talking about peter's death at the end of season one only being a few weeks before what we see happening in this episode, almost a full season later. Yeah, it's like four weeks if we're like generous, like right. very generous. The actual time passing is very slow. So there's that. I understand that it feels to us because we're seeing it week to week. Yeah. Like it's taking them, you know, months to tell each other things, but it's not actually because it's only a few weeks apart between seasons. The problem is there's a lot of stuff that characters just don't ever talk about. Yeah. Like Styles in 3A making the comment to Derek about Jennifer being the, the second mass murderer that Derek has dated. Yeah. That is not the kind of information that it's acceptable to me for a character to have been sitting on for seasons. I don't care yeah. how long those seasons are. That is too fucking long. Yeah. for characters to sit on information and not say anything. And there's some information that we don't ever discuss again. And so we don't even know if characters ever find it out. I mean, who all even ever finds out that Styles was kidnapped by Gerard? Who all even finds out that Victoria was trying to kill Scott when Derek bit her and that's what led to this whole thing? I don't think anyone ever finds that out. I, that's bad. Yeah, for either of those things. Like, it's just like, I don't think anyone knows that ever like the only discussion that they have about styles getting beat up is with the sheriff and then with lydia right and i feel like that's part of the thing like yeah reading the breakdown it doesn't seem like god starts messing around with everything else that's going on and then it doesn't seem like he cares anymore about styles and maybe it's just that he does find out that styles has returned and that's something else that just happens off screen mm -hmm. but you know, from our perspective, he just like, is like, okay, well, moving on from that, like, like, while Styles still seems to be missing, because at one point, whenever Lydia's in his, in Styles' room, she says, oh, look, you have like 17 missed calls from Scott. Are you avoiding him? And he says, like, not really. But as far as we know, it doesn't seem like he's ever called Scott back to say like, hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. But Scott is still just going on with like Jackson and dealing with Jackson and Gerard and Derek and everything. I understand it's all very pressing, but Styles could be dead to ditch somewhere. I know. And, and, and you're right. I, I've forgotten about the bit where she's like, you've got like a lot of missed calls here from Scott. And I, I totally get that Scott's got a lot on his plate. Like there's a lot happening, but I love that he is still calling like Scott or Styles, like just constantly calling him to find out if everything is okay. And they could have just had such a good moment where like when everything's dealt with and, and mountain ash has been screamed and, and you know, the cannibal has turned into the werewolf and all that or, or whatever that you just had this moment where Scott just kind of like, is kind of like just taking a moment to himself and just being like, holy shit. So much has happened in the last like 17 minutes. Cause that's how long the season takes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and then like, he just gets a phone call and it says styles and he just kind of like does that thing where he's like, like holds it to his 
his ear and just kind of goes into that crouch, you know, where he's finally hearing that his best friend in the world is actually okay, you know, type of thing. And it, it definitely seems like I get it. You know, they've only got like 41 and a half minutes to tell a ridiculous amount of story. Um, but, it, and, and I, so I could see stuff like that getting cut for time where it's just like, it's unfortunate, but we've really got to move. And, but then I feel like if I were the showrunner, you know, but where it's just one of those things where it's like, we cut a scene that's kind of important. Like this is like emotional growth. We really, and I understand this is the season finale. We need to take this scene and throw it up on the board in 301 and be like, we need the equivalent of that scene in this episode to be like, we get it. We could have even had like a big, like hug once Styles, like everything settled with like Jackson and everything. Cause we get like Jack, like Styles, like crying as he sees, Jackson and Lydia like embrace yeah but I feel like instead of that we could have had like Scott like you know hugging him like hugging him to death being like oh my god I thought I was going to lose you but instead it's like oh I'm not crying I'm crying because they scratched my jeep you know I I I already didn't like the shot of Styles crying like I I get it people are complicated and selfish yeah and I'd like to think being very generous that it's because he cares about Lydia as a person. And while he's relieved that she isn't going to have to see someone that she cares about die, he's also worried that she's going to get back into a relationship that's very unhealthy for her. I think that's a very, very generous interpretation that I doubt is accurate. But regardless, I didn't need that. No one needed that. (laughs) I don't even blame him from a crush point because he's just like at a place mentally where I understand like sometimes when you're just so broken down, even something like stupid can make you start crying. Yeah, that's true. Like even this like, you know, like I've been that in that place too. It's like, it's not even that I super like care about like you know if this person's like into me or not but it's just like so much other shit going on that I yeah. feel overwhelmed it's like this is just something to focus on and cry about yeah. as opposed to just like something like other shit and yeah. I feel like it's just like him finally reaching like a breaking point and just like kind of focusing on that because he's had to like stay strong for all of it yeah like you know while he was there trying to like help the betas and everything and like getting the shit kicked out of him and then in front of his dad and even in front of Lydia and everything he was just trying to be like I'm okay I'm fine like don't worry about it and then he finally just like reached a breaking point and even maybe just realizing like no one cares about what happened to him outside of his dad well I mean Lydia kind of cared but like Scott didn't run and embrace him like no one's like oh my god what happened to you once yeah, I think he got Lydia out of the does right well but, but like once once he get, sees like Scott and Derek and everyone else like there's like Scott doesn't make a big deal out of it and I yeah. feel like maybe it's like Scott, as his best friend, doesn't care about what happened to him. It feels that way. Calissa, I think what you just said was all fantastic. And of just how like, it's not the thing that you're crying about. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing you focus. That's that's taking all your energy. And, and I feel like Styles crying in that moment is the perfect moment when Scott should have like hugged him and let him mm-hmm. break down. You know, where it's like, this isn't it. This isn't the thing. This is the whole 24 hours or honestly like 20 minutes because I think we go straight into the next episode and it's like all nighttime. It's the same night, I think, for like most of the episode. And it's that type of thing because in 3A, we get Motel California. Mm -hmm. And in Motel California, which is a fantastic episode, we get one of the best lines of all where it's, you're my brother. Right. Unfortunately, footage not found of a lot of that and it's like this is the moment that you get ahead i think when they wrote the lacrosse practice at the very 
end of the season and the very last scene with my second favorite song at home by crystal fighters that that's what that was supposed to be that that's their bro version of it where it's just like going back to what we were talking about normalizing intimate friendships between men it's like that's what this should have been yes i mean i love that that lacrosse scene but i'm like this should have been still a dick at that scene i know but it's like this is the moment when he should have just let if you're gonna have styles cry let it be on scott's shoulder and they can both Mm -hmm. cry together because they've both been it through a whole bunch of trauma in like the last however long, you know? So it's like, we can have this. It's good. You know what good. they should have done? What's that? Is have them like throwing lacrosse balls at each other and a lacrosse ball hits Styles, and he starts having like a flashback to when he was kidnapped by Gerard. Yeah. And that's when he like has a complete breakdown, partially because he's experiencing like a post-traumatic stress symptom, but also because it's just another reminder that when he throws a lacrosse ball at Scott, Scott barely slows down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And so it's just another reminder of how he is vulnerable in a way that Scott isn't, and they haven't fully addressed that inequality between them that would have been good especially since we're building towards that in in season five when styles has uh, whatever with chimera kid his name i can't remember oh donovan 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 Donovan. where it's like well that would have been perfect a perfect buildup over multiple seasons uh, that he has this anxiety that's like i mean styles will throw himself in any fight like he doesn't care he will do it because it's the right thing to do but that doesn't mean he doesn't have that existential dread of just, I ain't going to heal when a dread doctor stomps on my head type of thing. So then you finally get that moment in season five where they can actually have a real rift, you know, where it's like, well, we can look back over the previous five seasons, but oh, it's been building. It's like, he's always had this issue that they really haven't been able to figure out yet. And when you do that kind of setup work, it's so satisfying as a viewer because you're just like, I can't believe that I missed all this. And yeah. it, it could be the same way with Team Wolf if they had done things like that where you would get to that and you'd be like oh my god of course like this has been coming for so long and there is a little bit of that I mean we do have the scene where Styles says I can't do the things that you can do the problem is that's pretty much the only moment and there's never any more meaningful processing of it between those characters yeah and when there are things that happen that are germane to that discussion no one ever makes the connection so like the thing with Gerard beating up Styles nobody ever talks about it yeah, yeah, I mean, Style says, who do you think this message was meant for? Or something to that effect about his being beaten up. And Beam we're like, up, yeah. who knows? Because it's never actually addressed. Yeah. Like Scott doesn't talk about it. There needed to be a conversation, even if it wasn't right. all about feelings about, but like Styles as a liability because he is the easy target of the group. It's really unfortunate. It's just missed drama. Just good character work meaningful character work is the opposite of melodrama because melodrama is what happens when you go all bombastic with people's feelings without doing that character work to bolster it's like trying to build a house from the roof down yeah it's unfortunate teen wolf is a really good show it is it's really good it is but it's just it could have been a little bit better Obviously, like, you know, while discussing all this, it's not like I'm trying to say it's a bad show or poorly written. It's a good show. It's just like, this could have made it like a perfect show. And I know it's so hard to like, and it's easier to say that like in retrospect. Of course. Hindsight is 2020. And I mean, there's like so few shows that I would describe as perfect shows. But 
I do have to appreciate long-term payoffs. Yeah. You just got to put in the work, you know, yeah. and it's, and again, making a TV show is hard. Yeah. You know? and I do and think it, that time is a big part of it. Yeah. That mm-hmm. we've been able to sit here and pour through the details, you know, really go through an entire haystacks worth of show details and identify where the needles should have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I know some shows like, where they do have stuff that's really planned out and everything. It's because someone's been working on developing that for like 10 years. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is just a a time thing, you know, and it'd be one thing if like Jeff had been working on the show for years and years, trying to, you know, to to sell it and try pitching it for years Mm -hmm. and years. But instead, I mean, MTV came to him. I was like, hey, we have an idea. And he was like, I know exactly what to do. And they were like, okay, go. You know, and this is, Teen Wolf is the definition of hit the ground running. And that, you know, so, and it's hard to see all these moments when you're actually in the trenches being like, I'm writing a scene that shoots tomorrow. And I don't know what I'm writing after that, that shoots the next day. I've got to figure it out with my writers and all, you know, where, so it's just like, you get to the end and you're just like a puddle because it's been so hard. And then only in, in the end, you're like, oh shit, we missed something. Yeah. It's just the nature of the beast. But even like, you know, as we've discussed with other writers on the show and everything, like, and with Jeff himself, MTV didn't want to give you guys a break. They were like, no, you're not going on vacation right now. You're cranking out another season. Yeah. So have fun. Yeah, yeah. it was... It was rough, but I mean, you know, first world problems and all that type of stuff. (laughs) But still, it's just rough. I mean, because it's hard making a TV show. It's very hard. And and as as hard as it was to get something as good as Teen Wolf is like a miracle that with no money and no time to to then have a show that we're talking about 10 years later, you know, because like most shows that have no time and no money, but what are they? I don't know, because we don't remember them. You know, I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, some shows have all the money. And no one gives a shit by the end of it because they've done shit the bed. Game of Thrones. You better be listening to this, HBO. Okay. Uh, One last thing before we close it out. Since we talk about Peter and him discussing the power of human love, do you think he likes to watch rom-coms? And if so, what do you think is his favorite rom-com? He does like to watch rom-coms. He'll never tell anyone that. And in the vault, there's another vault. Of VHS tapes, they're all rom-coms. You know what I wanted to tack on to the end of this? When we were discussing in Motel California when Styles says we're brothers, mm-hmm. there's one other character that tells that to Scott. Could somebody remind me who that was? That would be Derek Hale. That would be Derek Hale. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to go ahead and throw that out there. But it doesn't mean Styles and Derek are brothers in any way. No, more like Scott and Derek would end up being brothers-in-law. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Derek would be like... Finally, we're brothers, like I said. (laughs) Scott's like, not like this. (laughs) My God, I should have just been friends with him. I know, absolutely. (laughs) Scott would have been like, if I had known that it was going to come to this, I would have pretended to be your friend. I would have done your standard, like, we'll be social media friends, we'll follow each other, and I'll periodically say, like, hey, we should hang out sometime. That is the level of friendship that I should have committed to with you, and I know that it would have been sufficient because you have no real friends, and now it has to become this whole thing, and I just have regrets. That's definitely what Scott's attitude would be, but he would also eventually come around as long as he saw that Styles was happy. Agreed. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. 
We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 2, Episode 12, Master Plan, the Season 2 finale. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.